That was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and uh, way to make the pregnant lady cry before she even starts. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I will need this today. Firstly, kids, there's no story today. I hope that the sermon is still interesting for you. But if it's not, Emma, the amazing woman that she is, has an awesome activity sheet for you. So if you would like one, and if I'm boring, please come and get one from the front. There's an awesome coloring in sheet, and I don't know if you can tell, but these two people are actually uh, significant for our sermon today. So, well, you can't tell because you don't even know what I'm preaching about yet, but you will soon. So come, color in. I'd love to see your artistic color choices after church. And on the back, I'm just going to cover up who it's about, uh, there is this lovely word search. So please come and grab one, kids, if you would like, down here with Emma at the front. Today I'm talking about being intentional mentors. But we're not actually going to think about that until right at the very end. Okay? So I want you to semi-forget that slide. It's up there. So you already know where I'm going to land the plane. Uh, But just forget, okay? It's about the journey, not the destination. We're going to get there in the end. Before um, I really do begin, I would love to pray uh, if you'll join me. Lord, thank you for this beautiful, cold, sunny winter Sabbath where we get to come together and worship freely online and in person. Lord, be with us now as we open your word. May you move our hearts. May you change our minds. May you open us to something new. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be reading a lot of the Bible today. A lot, a lot, like two whole chapters. So open up to 1 Samuel chapter 1 on your phone or your Bible. I'm actually going to be using my iPad today because I had way too many notes. We're going to be reading and stopping and reading and stopping. So if you haven't heard the story of Hannah and her son Samuel and Eli the priest, you're in for a wild ride. You're going to get the whole thing today. So this is a good sermon for you to hear if you haven't heard these stories before because we're actually really going to read the whole thing. Starting with chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Samuel, let's begin. Maybe have your finger ready because we will stop and you might not want to lose your place. Okay, so be ready. I'm going to have my finger ready because I don't want to lose my place in my notes either. There was a man... From Ramathiam Zophim, in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Okay, we're going to stop. Are you ready? I told you we're going to actually stop a lot, so really have your finger ready. Elkanah, though he is described as an Ephraimite, is actually a Levite. Now, a Levite means that you're from the, the tribe of Levi, and they had a significant role that we will come back to. I want to I just point out that First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 27 lists Elkanah 
as a descendant of Levi. This is really important. So just, just pop that in your mind as an important post-it note. Elkanah is a descendant of Levi, which means he is a Levite in the tribe of Levi. Okay, we continue. Verse 2. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second Penaniah. Penaniah had children. Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. These are all significant people. We're going to come back to them all. So just keep making post-it notes in your mind. Elkanah, a Levite, Hophni and Phinehas, priests. Okay, keep them in mind. Hannah, hugely significant. Verse 4, whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penaniah, with the children and to each of her sons and daughters. Everybody got a portion. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. So we're going to pause again. Hannah gets two portions of meat, even though she's a childless woman. Now, in this context, in history, this, this time, if you were a woman without a son, you're in a dicey situation. But this man loves his wife, and he gives her the honor of two portions of meat, even though, in their eyes at the time, she wasn't really deserving. She didn't have a son, but he loved her so much he wanted to restore this woman and her place in the family with two portions of meat, not just one. He gives her the beloved status of a mother with a son, even though she doesn't have one. Verse 6, her rival, Penaniah, would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. What a nasty piece of work. <laughs> Hannah would weep and not eat. Elkanah would ask, Hannah, why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better than ten sons? Any woman yearning for a child will tell you, babe, I love you. <laughs> but no, you're not. <laughs> you are not better than ten sons. This innate need that some women feel for children cannot be quite satisfied by a husband. I'm sorry, guys. It's very special. On one occasion... Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest, Eli, was sitting on a chair by the doorstep of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, remember this woman has every year been tormented by Penaniah. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow in her heart, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me. Give me your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. 
Now that makes him a Nazarite like Samson. So you th think of that connection, that's kind of interesting. Here she's not only saying that this son, if, if she gets one from the Lord, she'll give him back, she is pledging him for a very special life, the life of a Nazarite, a life of service, special. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. So unaccustomed to raw, sincere worship, Eli thinks she's drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. He's so not used to seeing a raw, sincere prayer that he thinks she's drunk? This guy. No, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I have been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, now knowing, maybe being reminded of what worship looks like. Go in peace. <laughs> And may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replies. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate, she drank, and no longer looked despondent. This woman goes from being absolutely distraught in anguish, pouring out her heart so much, like you think of a drunk person, muttering to themselves, tears, messy. Maybe that is actually what she looked like. Maybe I'm a little bit too harsh on Eli, but you know, seeing that in a church setting, in a temple setting, I would hope he would think that that was worshipful prayer, not drunkenness. <laughs> but this woman goes from that state to leaving no longer looking despondent. Her faith is so strong that one guy says one thing, and she leaves believing that it will happen. She leaves the temple believing that her heart's desire, her prayers and her vow will be provided by the God who gives good things. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah rise early. They go and worship before the Lord. Afterward, they return to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. He remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. And in Hebrew, side note, the name Samuel sounds like the Hebrew word I requested him from the Lord. So significant. In every way, this woman's heart desire is answered. And she, she intentionally names this child based off her experience with God. I requested him from the Lord. She knows where he comes from. 
When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go. And she explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and stay there permanently. And her husband, wise man that he is, says, do what you think is best. Amen. (laughs) That is a wise man. Um, As a nursing mother currently, coming between that bond, and I was thinking about not just breastfeeding mothers, but bottle feeding parents. When you're holding your child and they're looking at you, being so satisfied with what only you can give them, that moment, that connection that you feel is so beautiful and so powerful, you do not want to break that. And Hannah's holding on to that as as long as she can. Wise woman. (laughs) But Elkanah reminds her, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. He reminds her of the vow that she made. As difficult as it is, remember, you made a vow. And that's tough. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Now, I want to pause and talk about the bulls. Some of your translations may say one three-year-old bull, and others may have three one-year-old bulls. There there is great uncertainty amongst scholars about the Hebrew grammar and what exactly they meant. In my mind, I don't think it matters. The greatest sacrifice that she brought to the temple that day was her son, which... I didn't turn this on, so that will not work. Sorry, Leighton. Her son, when it comes. That son! That one. The greatest sacrifice, thank you, Lauren, (laughs) um, is the son that she brings. Not the bulls. All bull. Beautiful as a sacrifice is, that is the greatest sacrifice that a mother can make. When I preached this sermon in front church, I said, I do not think I could do it. I love my son too much. The idea of dropping him off at Springwood and saying, see you next year, is too foreign to me. After last night, I might. (laughs) Oh, man. We've had a hairy week with sleep. I didn't think a one and a half year old could stay awake for four and a half hours straight and scream. I'm not joking or exaggerating slightly. So this morning, I feel like I could drop him off, but I know in my heart I could not. (laughs) I'd be back within 15 minutes. I couldn't do it. (laughs) When she gets to the temple, verse 26, Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, 
he is given to the Lord. Then he worshipped the Lord there. Wow. (laughs) I really couldn't do it. I, I saw this picture, and I know it's very Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories, but I just saw that little chubby face and little legs that are just like, you know, probably got grazes and stuff from playing out the back. Like, I look at that and I see my son and how much I love him and and have longed for all my life. I have longed to have my own kids and I'm finally there and it's amazing. Hannah was tormented every year. I was not. I think about that and I just, oh, it moves me. It is so hard to imagine what she was feeling. And then we read in chapter 2 what she was feeling. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken. And the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food. And those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven. The woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with the noble men. And he gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones and the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. This woman brings her son to the temple, and that is her heart's posture. One of worship, of praise, of rejoicing in the goodness of the God that she has experienced Far out, this woman is amazing. What a woman. (laughs) Why'd you have two wives, Elkanah? Hannah was amazing. Verse 11, Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy served the Lord in the presence of the priest, Eli. Now, we have met one family. We've met Hannah, Elkanah, and Hananiah, We've met somehow Samuel. We just know that he is sent to the temple at this point. I'm going to introduce you to another family. We're going to have a look. 
let's look at the other side of the picture. <clears throat> Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged meat fork while the meat was boiling and plunge it into the container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot. The priest would claim for himself whatever the meat fork brought up. This is the way... It makes me really angry when I read this, and I'm going to go through it with you. So hang in there, because it sounds boring, but it's really disgusting. This is the way they treated all the Israelites who came there to Shiloh. Even before the fat was burned, it's significant, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast, because he won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If that person said to him, the fat must be burned first, then you can take whatever you want for yourself, the servant would reply, no, I insist you hand it over right now, and if you don't, I'll take it by force. So the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of the Lord because the men treated the Lord's offering with contempt. Does that mean anything? <laughs> Not really, right? <laughs> When you read it, okay, so they're getting the meat out. That might be a bit rude. I don't really know. I looked into what this offering might be because it sounds like it's a big deal what these guys are doing, and it is. It's disgusting. So let's have a look at how sacrifices were meant to happen. Firstly, the first sacrifice of the temple was the one that for looked forward to Jesus, the atoning lamb killed the fat of that lamb, burned on the altar at the start of the day. Beautiful. Every sacrifice that was made on the altar from that point on, the first sacrifice, everyone after that was burned on top of that base sacrifice that symbolized what Jesus ended up doing. This is important. Every sacrifice that these people brought to that same altar rests on top of the sacrifice that symbolizes Jesus' provision of himself. The priests in the temple were rightfully given the breast of the sacrificed animal and the right thigh of the meat from sacrifices because their ministry as priests in the temple meant that they couldn't have farms or agriculture cattle of their own, so their provision was a special, sacred, set-apart, specific part of the animals that were brought to the temple, as well as loaves of bread and grain and wine. It's all in Leviticus. You can read it if you really want. In Leviticus 7.33, it outlines the, the breast and the thigh. This is a thing that we do still in the church with our offerings and our tithes. The, the ministers in our church are paid out of a special set-apart portion that you bring so that we can dedicate our whole life to you. That's how our system works. And when it works well, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And in the temple, it was set out as a beautiful system. But when it was not respected, as you're about to see, it's awful. 
The particular sacrifice that is described in this story is the peace offering. Now, the peace offering is where the animal, well, the family would bring an animal to be sacrificed for two reasons. Firstly, to ask for provision from God for something. And secondly, to say thank you and praise for provisions given. So these people would come with their animal, with hearts turned to God for provision or thanking him for provision. That sacrifice would then be burned on top of the ultimate provision of salvation. The fatty parts, the internal organs of the animal, would be burned on the altar. That was called the food offering, and it was the part that God consumed by fire. The thigh and the chest, the breast of the animal, would be then given to the priest, who they would consume that part of the sacrifice, and the sacrificing family would take the rest of the animal home, they would cook it, and feast with family and friends over the goodness of what God had provided for them. So these priests, Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, this is where I get angry, (laughs) were taking not only the sacrifice for God himself off the altar, taking it before the fat was burned, The fat is the part that God has. Taking meat out of the cooking pots, sending their servants into the homes of people who came to worship. (laughs) Taking forks when they already were provided for. Taking meat from their pots. Robbing God and his people. Getting in between God and his people in this beautiful symbolic feasting together for self-indulgent pleasure for themselves. That's disgusting. Now can you see why I'm angry? Can you imagine if you came to church and I got in between you and worshipping God? That is the ultimate sin. These guys are awful. They are disgusting to the core. However... God's will always prevails. And in the most disgusting circumstance, God wins. His plan for reconciliation and relationship with his people always wins. Verse 18. Samuel served in the Lord's presence. Where is the Lord's presence in the tabernacle? You tell me. Someone's got to know. The most holy place where a priest can only enter once a year, only if everybody's heart was truly repentant, only to cleanse the people from their sins. And if a people, if even one person was not repentant, they would die if they went in there. They had bells on tassels on their garment to be pulled out because they heard silence. He carked it. Someone did not say sorry. (laughs) Pull him back out. So Samuel literally served in the most holy place, in the Lord's presence, a child. 
This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. He had one that his mummy made him every year. When she would come to the temple to sacrifice, she would bring this little linen priest garment that she made with her own hands and would pray over. Ellen White says that she would pray over the garment as she made it. And she would bring it to her son and shroud him in love and prayer. Still, every year, so dedicated to that son that she loves, that she's given back to the good God who gives everything good. Dedicated to the vow. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. May the Lord give you children by this woman in place of the one she has given to the Lord. Then they would go home. The Lord paid attention to Hannah's need and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. God is doing something special with Samuel. It's different. This child is very set apart. Now, Eli, we're looking at Hophni and Phinehas versus Samuel. Keep this in mind. Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel, the people bringing their temple sacrifices, getting in between them. Oh, and by the way, how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. These guys are really disgusting. He said to them, why are you doing these things? I've heard about your evil actions from all these people. He has only heard about the actions of his sons. Where are you, Eli? No, my sons, the news I hear, the Lord's people spreading is not good. That's an understatement of the millennia. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. Eli offers this gentle warning to his sons. But they fall, it falls on deaf ears. They had already in their hearts chosen well and truly whether or not they were going to respect God and, and have a relationship with him. They did not want that. They'd already decided in their hearts it was over. Verse 26, by contrast... The boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Is that familiar? It's the same thing that's said about Jesus. He grows in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Samuel is so special. He is so different. (laughs) There is something special for Samuel. Now, there's something special for Eli, too. We're going to quickly read this bit, and then I'm going to land the plane. Done. Okay. A man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Didn't I reveal myself to your forefathers, to your forefathers' family, when they were in Egypt and belonged to Pharaoh's palace, reminding him where he's brought them out from? (laughs) Out of all of the tribes of Israel, I chose your house to be my priests, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense and to wear 
an ephod in my presence. I also gave your forefather's family all the Israelite food offerings. Why then do you, all of you, do all of you, despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require in my place of worship? It's like my mom, she'd be like, this is my household. (laughs) When you have your own house, you can do what you want, but this is my house. And God is saying that to Eli, this is my house. You're doing this in my house with my people. When I have given you all of this stuff, you have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people, Israel. Therefore, this is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefathers would walk before me forever. But now this is the Lord's declaration. No longer. For those who honour me, I will honour. But those who despise me will be disgraced. Look, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your forefather's family so that none in your family will reach old age. You will see distress in the place of worship in spite of all that is good in Israel and no one in your family will ever again reach old age. You will see distress in the place of worship. Oh, no, I just read that. Any man from your family I do not cut off from my altar will bring grief and sadness to you. All your descendants will die violently. This is hardcore, but remember what they were doing. He was, these boys, Hophni and Phinehas, these men, were getting between God and his people in the most disgusting way. This will be the sign that will come to you concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Both of them will die on the same day. This is where we see God fiercely fighting those who get between him and his people. Fiercely, violently fighting those who get between him and you. Between what you bring him in worship, your recognition of what he gives you, your requests for provision that is based on the fact that Jesus died to provide for you. This is how he will fight those who become between you and him. And then we see something so epic happen. God says, through this man of God, then I will raise up a faithful priest for myself. He will do whatever is in my heart and mind. I will establish a lasting dynasty for him and he will walk before my anointed one for all time. Anyone who is left in your family will come and bow to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. He will say, please appoint me to some priestly office so I can have a piece of bread to eat. God always wins. When someone gets between you, He will win, not the person getting between you. God will, obviously. He will always make a way. But sometimes the way he makes a way is very strange. I was talking to Alex about how illogical God is. I really don't understand him. And that is what is so good. I don't have to. I can just accept the goodness. 
Let's have a look. We've got Hannah and we've got Eli. Now's when we're going to start talking about being intentional mentors. So, and I'm, I'm landing the plane. Hannah on the left, Eli on the right. Let's look at the same. Levite family on both sides. Elkanah, remember, listed in Levi's family, he is a priest, which means Samuel was born into a priestly family. So are Hophni and Phinehas. Levite family, both sides. She loves her sons. Eli loves his sons. He was gentle with them. Instead of giving the firm hand when was needed, maybe when they were children, when, instead of raising them to respect the sacred parts of the temple life that they grew up in, he abstained from that. He took the indulgent road. But he loves his sons the same. Her son grows up in the temple. His sons grow up in the temple. Her son is set apart for priesthood. She promises him back to the Lord for temple service and to not cut his hair as a Nazarite. Eli's sons also set apart for priesthood. High priest's sons? Man, you think PK's had a lot of pressure. These boys, my goodness. There's a divine calling on her son's life. He was born for a purpose. Hophni and Phinehas would have started the same way. We all have a divine calling on our life. Every one of us. They all look different. And that's what makes it so beautiful to be a part of the church because our calling is different for each one of us. But they have the same, both sides. Hannah is intentional. Every year, she makes this robe for her son. She prays over her son. She takes it in. She committed to the vow. She followed through on the vow. She delivered him to the temple. She gave up the most, thing, most prized, desired thing that she had. She gave it up. She's intentional at every turn. And Eli is indulgent. This is the difference. Those families had the same beginning, the same potential. The boys on both sides, the same but the difference between the way that Hannah mentors her son and the way that Eli mentors his sons makes catastrophic differences in the outcomes. Now, each one of you has people in your life that you can mentor. They could be your children, as is the case in this story. They could be people at school, friends, friends' kids, you might be a grandparent, it might be your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, friends, kids, whatever. Each one of us has something beautiful to offer. God gives, and this is where it's really logical, God gives Samuel to Eli. What? This guy totally sucked. <laughs> he failed. Hophni and Phinehas come to a very gruesome end. And yet God still gives that man, this beautiful boy who is so pure of heart that he can be in God's actual presence and not die, to a man who failed with his own sons. God is a God of second chances even when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter what you may think about yourself. You may be Hannah. 
kudos to you. I'm not. But if you're Eli and you think maybe you have not been the best mentor, you may not have been the best parent, spouse, friend, sibling, God is the God of second chances. He gives pure, unspoilt opportunity to you. Second chances. That's what salvation is, right? The ultimate second chance. That is the good God that we serve. It is our responsibility, our duty to be good members, mentors to those who he places in our sphere of influence. That's what it's about. This is a a two-part sermon. I'm going to stop here because we're going to come back in a couple of weeks. I think it's on the 23rd. I'm going to be preaching with Lila, um, who is incredible. We're going to preach together. And it is an attempt to be able to mentor someone that I'm making. Um, It is a privilege because as a pastor, I can do that. Um, But that's just because it's in my calling. And whomever is in your calling, I encourage you to think about in between now and then. Then we're going to look at what does Eli do with his opportunity.